0: Episode 21 of the different Dr. Same Old Shit podcast. Each week we watch a story based on Dr. Order and dissect it. This week's story is, of course, The End of the World, Christopher Eccleston's second story. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, it's the ever enigmatic Dr. L. How you doing, Doc?
1: I'm good. Um, Yeah, it's, just to bring everyone up to date, um, we're doing this on a Sunday morning, which Mm is
0: um, a little unusual for us. I think this is the first one of this particular podcast project that we're doing on Sunday morning, isn't it, Doc? It is. um, And I
1: mean, discussing thrash metal seems a little unusual on a Sunday morning, but Mm. discussing Doctor Who on a Sunday morning. So um, I I didn't actually do this, but figuratively, um, I did what I would normally do if I were meeting a good friend for a convivial breakfast on Sunday morning, which is... Um, I had a stroll to the, um, the news agents and I bought cigarettes um, and I bought The Guardian. Mm. I'm such a wet liberal.
2: Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, came home and, and browsed the morning. I didn't even have time to browse the morning news because I was already a little bit late, but um, if I had a pet of some description, I think what I would have probably done is like um, fed my pet um, and uh, put Radio 3 on in the background. Um, and yeah, just sort of uh, probably um, cracked out the croissants and cereal
0: and, 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 and mm-hmm. waited, waited, waited for my breakfast guest. Mm, that's lovely. I, I rolled out of bed about 20 minutes ago. Um, I do have a pet of some description, but I didn't have a chance to take him for a, for, for a lovely walk down the river, unfortunately, because I am, I am nursing a little bit of a hangover. Me, me and my housemate um, at, at four in the morning, were kind of three quarters deep into a bottle of whiskey um so yeah my, my head's a little bit sensitive um but I think we' I think we'll be okay we're only talking doctor who aren't we It doesn't really fucking matter only talking right? what um what are the what are the more worthwhile pursuits that are you? <laughs> it's true it's true Doc. Well, as you week been give me give me, give me a bit of a insight into your world if you would there's very little to uh, to give you insight into
1: um Ooh. I up at 6 30 at 7 15 i take a train um i work until just before five then i take a train and i come back home yeah um and um i was passing comment to you just before you got started i've i've dug a bit of a hole for myself a a, a thoroughly enjoyable one but i've i've set myself quite a few targets which is that i've got quite a bit of a reading list Mm. to get through before we get to marco polo Mm -hmm then before we, especially before we get to kinder.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've Um, got about two and a half months until we get back to kinder.
1: Yeah. Um, and based on my old subsidiary English literature course, um, I think I'm probably gonna, I I mean, I've, I've got probably like a fairly stiff book every
0: week, week or week and a half. Oh God, yeah, 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 well best of luck, doc. um, I won't be doing any of that stuff i am just gonna turn up on the sunday morning and and and, and talk nonsense basically so i very but I very much look forward to the the, the fruits of your endeavors um I got an interesting night last night as a Saturday night, you know got kind of with the housemates we went down the local down the local boozer um and Got chatting with the, with the table next to us, and I actually asked her, I asked her, a, a young lady for her phone number. Something I haven't done in about 20 years. Um, oh no, 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 that's a lie. I did I I, 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 I did ask. I, I got a young lady's phone number over Christmas. Um, so only the second time in 20 years. And the funny thing was, um, she was married, and her fella was actually. As uh, like one, one of the people around the table, it's one of those situations where, where it could go like t- terribly, terribly wrong if yeah. you actually uh, give a sh- if you actually give a shit, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, uh, or Warwickshire might just be a bit more swinging than I ever thought it was. Yeah, yeah, but it 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 it, 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 it was great fun, you know. Um, she she seemed very flattered. She seemed very pleased that I'd asked, but she pointed out that her fellow was there, and I, I I just I said hats off to you, sir, and. Uh, and, and bid my farewell to, 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 to the group and, and wandered off, basically. And I've been feeling buzzing and alive and full of energy, vitality, vim and vigour ever since, Doc. You know, these are the, these are the things that, that make being alive worth living, basically, in my opinion. Do you want some corrections, Doc?
1: Let's have some corrections.
0: Here we go. Um, we've got three. Based on the last couple of uh, episodes that we've, that we've, what have we done that we've knocked out? Um, In the Attack of the Cybermen story, we discussed a Star Trek Next Generation episode called Darmok. And we kept referring to the captain of the other ship who Picard has to face off against as Darmok. He wasn't called Darmok, of course. His name was Dathan. Darmok was the name of a figure from his race's folklore. Used in the oft repeated allusion uttered by him during the encounter, Darmok and Atanagra. at Tanagra. Darmok and Gilad at Tanagra. So, of course, he's not Darmok. He's one of the people that's referred to in their allegories and metaphors. What's 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 the alien captain's name again? He's called um, Dathon, D-A-T-H-O-N, like Nathan but with a D. Um, Who I believe was a member of Cradle of Filth. (laughs) Is that right? Um, Something very much like that. Mm, mm. Um, Well, certainly the forest whispered uh, this this particular captain's name, if we remember the episode. (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. Again and again. there we go great um in the paradise towers episode for some reason i am much much louder than the doc we don't know why this is hopefully it won't happen again sorry guys it is listenable but you know the doc's voice is kind of distant in the background but and of course he's the wise one amongst us so these are the words that we really want to be hanging on to apologies guys last one in the Paradise Taz episode, the doc mentioned an album called Travelog by OMD. Travelog is, of course, an album by the Human League. Get your facts right, doc. I greatly apologize. That's all right. That's all right. We got it sorted. We got it sorted in the edit. I mean, I, I'm aware of the fact that I just confused Liverpool and Sheffield. Mm. Oh, God. It's make it appallingly dangerous for me to go to Northern England ever again. Well, when, when when we finally go on the different Doctor same old shit world tour, maybe we're going to have to avoid those cities, Doc.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I, I just... Uh, I just confused... Lancashire and Yorkshire. I, I, I can't believe I did that. Oh, no! Doc, <laughs> are, are you OK to carry on? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just obviously have to watch my back for the next few weeks. <laughs> you will, you will.
0: Welcome to part one of the show, which we call Tardy Talk. It's topic of the topic of the week, really. Eight. Um... How many have I got for you this week, Doc? Let me have a look. One, two. Three. Ah, okay, so give me a number between one and five, please, brother. I've been erring towards the middle of the bell curve recently, hmm. um, and
1: um, I'm going to go to extremes. Probably for the only time during this episode, I'm going
0: to go to extremes, hmm. and I'm going to have five, please. Um, oh, then, favourite moments in Doctor Who Ever, ever, ever. We talked about you, like you, like your memories of who and stuff. But what really? What's your favourite couple of moments from the show?
1: Oh, blimey! Um, as usual, this is a um, so many. Mm. Um, the last one minute of Logopolis... Oh yeah, um, has got to be really. Um, oddly enough, has the last one minute of the caves of Androzani. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Um, a, A bunch r- of them r- are...
0: Remind me the last minute of
1: Andrew's army, please, Doc. Well, it's it's the regeneration sequence. Mm. Um, and it, I just really like the line, um, you must not die too many of your adversaries with delight in your death. It's time to say goodbye. Don't give
2: up. You can't leave me now.
1: I might regenerate. I don't know. Feels different this time.
2: What, was it you always told me, Doctor? Braveheart? You must survive, Doctor.
0: You must survive. Many of your enemies would delight in your death, Doctor. Braveheart.
1: To which Peter Davison replies, um, I might regenerate, I
0: don't know, feels different this time. Yes, mm. it feels different this time. And then, uh, do we get to... Colin sitting up and saying change my dear Doctor You're expecting someone else
2: I I I
1: That's three I... eyes in one breath makes you sound a rather egotistical young lady
2: What's happened
1: Change my dear and it seems on a moment too soon Well it, it, it's 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 a fantastic bit of um How to set up your store for what the new doctor is going to be like in Mm. three seconds flat? Uh, because Perry says, I, 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 and the doctor says, Three eyes in one sentence makes you sound like a rather egotistical young lady. That's right, yeah,
2: (laughs)
0: that's right, yes, yes, it's quite, quite, yeah, it is quite the introduction for the new doctor, isn't it? Um, is it, is that, is that story, maybe spoilers for. 10 years down the line or something but is um andrew's Arnie a particular favorite because I, I know it's a firm fan favorite
1: uh, it's fantastic yeah. i mean just this brilliant mixture of jacobean tragedy um you can really imagine that like, thomas kidd or something mm. uh, it's all very lurid revenge and
0: counter revenge and literal backstabbings and poisoning mm. and "'Tis pity she's a whore," but on, um, yeah, but, but on Saturday night TV, basically, or, or whenever it was broadcast. Yeah, um, a
1: lot of stuff, um, or the Revengers tragedy, or um mm. or, or something like that, and...
0: I shall pluck out your eyes like vile jelly. Something like that. I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember the exact line, but you know the bit I'm <laughs> talking about, Doc.
1: Um, I think it does actually contain the line, I won't rest until I have the head of that stinking renegade at my feet
0: congealed <sighs> in its own blood. Oh, good, yeah. Be a very, very revengeous tragedy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a good one, Doc. Come on. My first one, let's aim for a couple of each here. Um, I'm going to say my, my, my first favourite um, moment, maybe it's a bit predictable because it comes from season 17, which... Is my you know along with season 7 is my favourite season overall. It's City of Death, of course it is, um, and it's the 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 the, the Scaroth reveal, basically. When we, when we first see his massive, his his preposterously massive head, <laughs> God, how Julian Glover's face mask was was meant to conceal it I don't know, but I love that bit. We see that like the Cyclops and the green kind of like strange strange. Alien formation. Brilliant. Um, I've got
1: to make a cross allusion to that. There is a Turkish film from mm. the uh, sometime in the early 1960s um, called Kilink Istanbulda, mm. <laughs> uh, which is a not so much a Turkish superhero film, it a Turkish supervillain film, and the, the, the supervillain in the film is called Kilink. Right. <laughs> And he's a man who wears a skeleton suit, which is fantastic in its own right. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing funnier than a grown man wearing a skeleton suit. Mm-hmm. But the great thing is, during one of his robberies, he disguises himself as um, the professor or something like that to get into the professor's laboratory. And when he's pulled off the robbery, he strips off his disguise and he takes off his professor suit. Yeah. He's got his skeleton suit on underneath it. Mm-hmm. and then. He, he takes off his mask of the professor's face, and he's got his fucking skeleton mask on under that, <laughs> presumably over his real face.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah, he's double masked. Yeah, <laughs> so, good for him. Yeah, uh, it, maybe he was preempting the the, 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 the dark days of COVID. He was double masking. Just
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, the um,
1: so. I get the idea. the uh, the, the the idea of Scaroff fitting his monstrous head inside mm-hmm. a mask of Julian Glover's face <laughs> is a bit of a pop pop culture reference in its own right. Yeah. Um, it, you you watch Doctor Who for a long time, and you end up with so many favourite moments. Mm. And the the ones i Do uh, you take a story like the invasion? And many people would like to make a case that it's full of plot holes. Mm-hmm. It hasn't got very good pacing, and it's basically nothing but a collection of moments. But oh my goodness, what moments they are! Yeah, but I mean, the the, the, the people that say that are just fucking idiots, aren't they? If you want to say it's full of plot holes, and you know, you've got a you've got a point, but I think you're missing the point. Mm. It's 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 one of those Doctor Who stories that exists to be a collection of moments. Yeah. Obviously, in the context of that season, it, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of levity and it's a bit of spectacle mm. um, in in the lead into the long, doom-laden spiral that is the War Games.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you say long, but the invasion's no, um, you know, no short, isn't it eight episodes? It's eight episodes, um, and it, as we'll discover
1: when, for instance, we get further into the Colin Baker area, it, it, it passes its eight episodes A lot faster than some more recent picked things. Past their forty-five
0: minutes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, for my money, Invasion is right up there. That's in my top five stories. Yeah, and I mean, if if you want to criticise the pacing and the plot holes, and if
1: if you want to say well, the Cybermen's plot is silly and makes no... then you, you obviously haven't been paying attention because mm. Cybermen's plots are always silly yeah, and never- well,
0: they're like, they're like Bond villains, aren't they, basically? You know, they've got kind of got these ridiculously grand master plans that make no fucking sense at all. Well, they, they normally revolve around...
1: Um, so, for instance, this is basically the the Cybermen doing an invasion by infiltration mm. um, and, and, and popping out of the sewers. And once that plan has been defeated, we then get to learn that the Cybermen possess and have always possessed a weapon that could destroy the world and, and, and cleanse it of human life anyway. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so why didn't they just use that for the... I mean, you, no, if if you're trying to look at Cyberman plans and trying to get them to make any sense at all, um, I think you, you'd probably need to hire the master as a consultant to make yeah. sense of any of the huh. Cybermen plans. <laughs> it, it, it's David Whitaker, isn't it, the, the invasion? Um, it's pretty much like a, a supergroup of um, 1960s writers mm. uh, In my opinion, it's got Terence Dick's fingerprints all over it right. It's got Barry Lett's fingerprints all over it, although obviously he couldn't credit himself because he was the producer at the time. Mm.
0: That's for union reasons, wasn't it? Doc? Uh,
1: well, union reasons and um, I think the BBC would be anno- would, would get a bit annoyed if they found out they were paying him a wage and giving him some money to hire freelance writers, which he was then using to pay himself.
0: Sure, yeah, 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 I see, I see that logic. But the fact that David whisker's involved, that means that anybody who challenges us, I'm up for a fist fight, Doc. Don't worry, I'll, I'll do the scrapping. You, 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 you can outwit them with logic. We'll take them down one <laughs> way or another. You hold them, I'll hit them. That's it. We'll do that. Um, <laughs> preempting
1: a errata from next week, I need to check. I think I made the boo-boo just then. I think mm. that Barry Lax is not the producer on the invasion. I think it's Peter Bryant.
0: Oh, there we go. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll clarify and we'll we'll make the necessary correction if we need to. And um, um, my my second uh, favorite has to be, um, and, and I'm going to be a bit cheeky here. It's the whole of the Five Doctors. I just love The Five Doctors so much. Um, I don't care that it's kind of clunky in places. I don't care that some people think it's overlong. I don't care that some people hate the ending. I bloody love it, Doc. So uh, that's my second favourite moment of all.
1: Um, The Five Doctors is a classic example of um, unless you were there, you have no right to comment. Mm. Um, Trust me, in November 1983, even people who didn't care about Doctor Who um, had cleared out a chunk of evening to watch that. Yeah, and if you are if you are already a relatively newly minted fan, mm. um, and so this is worth putting in context. You never expected to see any of those things on television. Um, you treated the sight of the Yeti um, probably with the same awe and reverence that a devout Catholic. Um, sees a crying madonna <laughs> yeah um you know it, it, it's it's a moment you clasp to your heart and whether or not anyone believes you you know that you saw it and it will stay with you for the rest of your life yeah and, and increase your faith and give you something to to meditate on the contents of your own soul
0: i saw jesus's face in my uh, toast this morning doc so I, don't, I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> 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 um, And.
1: Uh, this this is worth bringing up because obviously in a couple of in a few weeks when we get around to Marco Polo this will become very relevant and I'll probably end up repeating myself. But for people who don't like the Five Doctors, it's really worth pointing out that when people talk about missing episodes nowadays, yeah, in those days up until at least 1988, and then for a good long chunk of time after that, there was no point in discussing missing episodes because all of them were missing. Mm-hmm. As far as you were concerned, you were never, ever going to have a chance to watch any of that. You, you, like, it existed in the hallowed halls of the BBC archives, or whoever was keeping hold of them at the time, but you were never going to get to see it.
0: Nothing ever got repeated. That's a great point. I've never thought of it like that, Doc. You're right. So we were talking 1983. Most people wouldn't have a VHS player because they were probably, like, a £1,000 or something at the time. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so, you know, so, so stuff like, I don't know, the Green Death, Maskerman Dragora, you know the, the you know maybe they'd know the names, but they were they were almost like mythical, mythical creations, weren't they? Yeah, I mean your your reason for
1: buying Target novelizations was to get to learn what the hell happened in these stories. Mm-hmm. Brilliant point. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll you'll hear a lot of people um, like a a little bit older than you. And they'll talk about how discombobulating it is when you finally get to see John Pertwee era Doctor Who. And it mm. doesn't look remotely like the version of it that you'd reconstructed in your head from, yeah, obsessive, sure. from, from obsessive rereading of the Target novelizations.
0: Absolutely brilliant. I, I really had never, ever thought of it from that perspective. That's absolutely great. No, I mean, did, did you give first, me your second uh, favourite moment, Doc? Um, well, I said all of The Invasion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: And since we're talking about missing episodes, um, in terms of real chill down the spine, Mm. uh, it's the first moment from any kind of underground copy of a missing episode that I ever saw. And it's the first one minute of Evil of the Daleks part two. in its own right Um, but it was after a local group meeting um, and a close acquaintance of of mine gathered about four or five people around stuffed a tape in the machine um, and basically swore everyone to secrecy Um, and the Patrick Trout title sequence started up Mm -hmm. um, and then
0: it said the evil of the Daleks Mm -hmm. and like five young men just looked at each other jaws on the floor yeah oh yeah i can i can well imagine i wasn't there was it was a doctor i think no this was probably like a a, a y-
1: about a year before you joined yeah yeah and just the realization that yeah like you're you're pretty much it's the doctor who equivalent of um being howard carter and you've been digging in the sand for ages um and you come up against a wall and you brush the sand off the mm. wall and you call your translator over and the translator sort of turns to you with one half of his face illuminated by the candle and the other mm. half in shadow and he goes Hamun Hamun,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely wonderful yeah i, did, I mean I, I totally understand it because i remember when i got my hands on i i, I, I had i can't remember how, how i got older it but i had quite a flash um a VHS player that that could play um, both PAL and NTSC stuff. Ooh, um, nice. And I got I got a copy uh, that had been recorded off American TV of uh, Best of Both Worlds, the um, you know the, the big Borg two-part yeah. TNG. And honestly, the like the tingles that 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 I felt as as me and my mate Giles. Just kind of sat down to watch it honestly honestly doc it was absolutely wonderful doc. i totally understand
1: the only thing that i think ever um ever came close um was and you you were the agency behind this mm. um, long before it was legal to own in this
0: country um watching the exorcist with turkish subtitles oh yeah, oh, yeah brilliant yeah mm. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah, because the the Exorcist, for those that don't know, for many years was on the um, was on the banned list, wasn't it? Like the obscene publications banned list. I have completely lost track about what was banned under the proper Obscene
1: Publications Act, mm. what was banned under the Video Recordings Act. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, and what was merely unavailable. So, obviously, famously, A Clockwork Orange was merely unavailable. Sure, because um,
0: Kubrick, Kubrick withdrew it himself, didn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. Charming things such as um, Ilse She Wolf of the SS and mm. Night of the Bloody Apes were mm. um, prohibited under the Video Recordings Act. Yeah, um, and I think you might be right. I think The Exorcist might have fallen foul of the ancient. Uh, and you know, it, of course, what you're doing by banning something under the Obscene Publications Act is you're very often putting it in far more dignified company than it deserves. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. Uh, Ulysses was banned under the Obscene Publications Act. Lady Chatterley's mm. Loving was banned under the Obscene Publication um, Act. Um, what,
0: what, what's the one with Malcolm McDowell, the um, ridiculous kind of Roman? Uh, Caligula.
1: Uh, Caligula, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I uh, think that was
0: obscene publications as well, wasn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, but so effectively, what you've done is exactly what Bob journey wanted, which is um, you have elevated this piece of like pseudo-hardcore porn trash. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was directed largely in part by the same man who did direct Ilse Shewell for the SS.
0: Yeah, because uh, Caligula was, was was basically a penthouse production, wasn't it? Like the porn mag. Yes, I think. Um, and um, you know, with all of
1: the moral rectitude you'd expect from that organisation, mm-hmm. um, they made basically a straight version of the film mm-hmm. um, with John gilgood and Malcolm McDowell and people like that in it, and then they hung on to all of the. Um, Italian extras and mm-hmm. bit part players, and then when all the respectable people are cleared off, they shot tons of hardcore
0: material. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a strange. I've, I've seen the uncut version. It's a strange old beast because, because it, it I mean it, it, it is quite apparent. Yeah, you know, you know we'll we'll get the actors in for this bit, and you know, and we'll and we'll kind of film a, a regular scene, and and, and and then when when they've all gone away, then everybody just kind of get get down to a bit of bit of hardcore shagging. It's a strange yeah. old beast.
1: I need to correct myself again for the second time um, for the Euro Trash Aficionados. It wasn't directed by the same man who directed uh, Ilse Shewell for the SS. It was directed by the same man who directed Salon Kitty. Oh, well, very
0: good, Doc, yeah. Um, Ilse Shewell for the SS. I'd hardly hardly recommend everybody watch that. I think it's quite, you know, as far as kind of trashy... Trashy fucking Euro trash goes, it's it's, it's a it's a, it's a it's a pretty good one. Um, um as, as long as you can stomach um you know lampooning of, of, of Nazi Nazi era uniforms and stuff and and, and you don't you, you know you don't mind a bit of a, a, a big bit of bushy bush duck then 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 you'll be alright. I know one person who watched that film and grumbled about the uniforms all the way through. <laughs> what they weren't accurate. Brilliant. Absolutely. Um, But uh, yeah, it's up there in
1: everyone's list of concentration camp exploitation films, hasn't it?
3: The ultimate in screen terror. The horror that was the Nazi nightmare explodes on the screen. Because of the shocking nature of many scenes in this film, it is definitely not recommended for the squeamish or easily offended.
0: All right, guys, let, let's, let, let's move on to the episode. Don't forget, you can contact us on email at differentdocsos at gmail.com or on Twitter at SOS Different. I keep promising to sort out the Facebook. I, I still haven't done it, Doc, but I will, I'll I'll get around to one of these days. Uh, let's move on. Check-in! Check in. with the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Welcome to part two of the show which we call Five Rounds Rapid. Hear me in the dock. just throw out a few points and we tried to talk about them briefly but inevitably we failed to do so. Um, here we go the details it's written by uh russell t davis the man himself of course showrunner at the time directed by i don't know how to pronounce this name doc uh, i'm gonna say uros i mean e-u-r-o-s like, like the plural of euros like the money sure um
1: because of hearing a radio interview with the band gorky's zygotic monkey oh yeah um, I believe the correct pronunciation for this is actually Eros. Oh,
0: is it? So that's a Welsh name, given the yeah. that it's Gorkies. yeah. Oh, there we go. I, 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 I did wonder the, the derivation of that name. Um, what's the pronunciation, Doc? Um, eros, as in eros. The, Greek, the Greek god of love and sex. There we go. So it's eros Lynn, uh, is the director. Um, and
1: and, um, and um, I think it's... I think, if if we do our best to be correct, I think it's probably e- uh, Eros-Lyn. Oh, yes. It's anyone else. I don't know if that makes a difference. Yes, it does. Yeah. um,
0: It's the double L with the ch sound. That's what I thought. It's like a note, for example. That's what I thought. Um, And as ever, during this period, the music is by one Murray Gold. How did you feel, Doc, about the... Here's my first point. How did you feel, because this is kind of new to you, how did you feel about the use of a kind of last time on Doctor Who kind of opening... Sequence feels very American to me, but but I don't re- I don't, I, don't, I didn't really mind it. I thought it was all right. It feels American in not a bad
1: way. Mm. Um, I think nobody was under any illusions about the fact that for us to get Doctor Who in two thousand and five, yeah, and external investment, mm-hmm. you, needed to, you needed to have foreign investment and foreign markets queued up before you could even go in, in, into production with the thing. Mm. This was not going to work. Well, the last time people had tried to do it on a small BBC budget, um, we know how like we know how that worked. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it just went tits up, didn't it? It looked like cack. It sounded mm. like cack. Mm. Um, and pretty much it was cack. So mm. obviously. <laughs> to survive in the 21st century it was going to need foreign investors it was going to need foreign markets queued up out of the box mm. and that means I don't even think it's pandering um it's merely tooling your product um for export and not merely for
0: domestic consumption so it yeah. didn't bother me at all sure good yeah good I, I quite liked it actually you know You this is only episode you know we've got to keep in mind this is only episode you know it's only episode two. We, we're kind of coming at it from a different perspective, being 16 years later. It's only episode two. The show's been off the air for the best part of 16 years, give or take one TV movie. Um, that's a whole generation that's been skipped. I think it's fair enough to, not to assume that everybody knows what this show is. So, it's, you know, so well, they're kind of doing the, you know, the last time, it made sense to me, Doc. Let's play the timescale game
1: again. Mm. Um, this frightens me every time I do it. Uh-huh. Um, so if you if you move the linear timescale forward and count back from now, um, or effectively, if you slide the linear timescale back from now to when this episode was broadcast, from now and this episode and this episode to the same period in history, yeah. you're going from 2021 to 2005 and then 2005 to 1988-ish. Sure. Um, so effectively, sixteen years ago, uh, this episode was broadcast. Sixteen years before that, Trial of a Time Lord was being broadcast. Yeah, yeah. If you slide that linear scale back in time to when this episode was broadcast, sixteen years previously.
0: Um, Surely, Trial of... sorry, Doc, just to, just to cut in. Surely, sixteen years before this episode was the was was the last McCoy season, wasn't it, Doc? Eighty nine to 2005. Oh, you're all right. Yeah, sorry. See, yeah, uh, it's, no, it's all right. I was just, just, yeah. just doing the maths in my head. Sure.
1: Um. So, on the same time scale, uh, if we start with 1989, Yeah. Um, and uh, you'd have been about in the middle of season 12, you'd have been Ark in Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that would be 73. So, um, 73, would surely 73, you're looking at, like, season four of Pertwee, aren't you, 73?
1: Yeah, so, so time warrior-ish, arc in ish around those couple of years, and then Fair rather terrifyingly, if you jump back in time, the same. Um, what you're watching is quite a mess in the pit.
0: Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, because that would be fifty-seven, fifty-eight, something like that. Yeah, and now you're really back in the dark ages, aren't you? You know, you know where everything's in black and white and filmed live, and you know what I mean. You're you're uh, you're also PDW. What does that mean? Pre Doctor Who. Oh, oh, <laughs> P D W. What a what a terrifying world that must have been, Doc. I know, absolutely awful. Yeah, P D W. Oh, yeah. well you remember that, listeners. as well. I think we'll be referring to that in future. Um, I like that a lot. Um, I mean,
1: that's that's our equivalent of what muslims call like before the time of the
0: prophets isn't it sure yeah well absolutely yes it's uh what what do they kind of in order to to not to offend sensitive souls uh, don't we don't we refer to bce now rather than a bc like before the common era rather than before christ (laughs) um or i
1: I suppose we could we, we we should really call it uh pgc shouldn't we p G, C. Go on. Pre, Pre-Gregorian calendar. Oh,
0: very good. Before
2: Jehovah.
0: Jehovah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, come on, Doc. Give me your first point,
1: my good man. What this is, and I think this is absolutely necessary, this is an episode with nothing special about it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, a competent episode. So we've, we've had episode one that sets everything up, and... Um, and blows everyone's mind, including mine. So it blows the minds of people who've never seen Doctor Who before. It yeah. blows the minds of people who thought they knew what Doctor Who was.
0: You loved that first
1: one, didn't you, Doc Rose? I absolutely adored it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could have, re- I could have really done with a very, very different ten minutes. I thought the final confrontation was overcooked and terrible.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and came really close to undermining the previous episode, but. In the end, it didn't. Um, And yeah, uh, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, great. Um, Exactly what was needed for someone like me, um, who basically needed to see the game being changed. And all kinds of very, very welcome statements about, effectively, um, this is not your dad's Doctor Who, this is something new, this is something completely different. And then after that, I think what needs to happen is the series needs to settle into a groove of a few solid episodes. Yeah. That don't blow your mind too much, but allow you to get used to the characters, introduce concepts. So I I don't think I'm being terribly prophetic here in saying with this is a far future episode. Um and actually I'm not being prophetic at all because it's in the preview at the end of the episode. But I thought, hmm, a far future episode. I wonder if the next episode will be set in the distant past. Which um. of course it isn't, it's set in the really quite recent past. But
0: sure. mm-hmm. I thought it was quite brave of them actually to to you know to set the second episode in that kind of far future and really really establish the fact that this is a fucking science fiction show and we're gonna go to crazy outlandish places i thought that was, yeah. i thought that was a big move um it's one of so i'm going to talk about this a lot i
1: suspect as we go through the christopher eccleston era mm. it is possible to take influencers. From the original series, without slavishly copying them, and once again, if you go back to the the very beginning of the William Hartnell era, you've got the present day, the distant past, an alien planet, um the historical but much more recent past, then another alien planet, and then the far future, sure, and you get one, two, three, four, five, and this this is all the things that we can do in the context of this television series, yeah. And I don't think, um, I don't think reiterating that chain of logic is a terrible idea. Uh-huh. So, it wouldn't surprise me, and it certainly wouldn't disappoint me, if we have it. So, far future, recent past, um, and then I suspect the next one is going to be a wildly alien planet. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to get back to contemporary Earth. Mm-hmm. As we progress through the William Hartnell era, the surprising things, thing for me is exactly
0: how long it takes for them to get back to contemporary Earth. I'm thinking, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking they don't get back until War Machines. I think you're right. Yeah, that's, so that's season three, isn't it? Well, it's
1: the very end of season three,
0: too. Yeah, yeah, so you're looking at what, that'd be eight, 16, like, I don't know, like, almost like 20 stories in. Yes. Wow, well, yeah, well, that's a good point. Doug.
1: Three years of real time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's very... I don't think it's very brave. I think it's perfectly logical. Mm-hmm. Um, because for people who don't know Doctor Who, um, those are the people who need to have impressed on them, that not only is this not your dad's Doctor Who, this is not the X-Files, this is not Buffy the Vampire Slayer, this is not Star Trek.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's not something on contemporary Earth. It's not something on a, a recognisably futuristic earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about an organisation. It's not about a fixed location. And there's, there's all of this, this stuff that you have to communicate to people who are new to the concept. Yeah. So it's it's bold, but to me, it seems perfectly logical.
0: Fair enough, yeah. No. So it's not a criticism, is it, you're making there? You're not saying it's like, like a bad decision. Well, you, you, you just don't uh, kind of accept my point of, about like the bravery of the move no um I, I'm afraid I don't mm. um, I think if
1: if bravery is the absence of cowardice mm. <laughs> um so <laughs> it, it, it would have been a very weak-need cowardly thing to do mm. to immediately start doing contemporary
0: earth sure sure um, what, what do you make of uh, it's kind of tangentially linked to my, my, my opening point. But, but again, I think this is quite new to you, Doc. Um, you know, for, for, for listeners that, that, that might not have, you know, heard heard our kind of past 20 episodes, the Doc is a real expert in classic Who, whereas I've got a bit of a, a blind spot when it comes particularly to, to the Hartnell era stuff. But the, the, the Doc's kind of got a bit of a blind spot for modern Who, as I've watched the whole lot. So we, we're kind of here to complement each other in a way. Um, So what do you make, Doc, of of cold opens? Because this is a new thing for you, isn't it? Right. I've
1: heard the concept, I've studied it, and I presume what you mean is the the episode starts with a a chunk of plot or even a piece of dialogue already Mm -hmm. in progress.
0: That's right, yeah. Um, So Something's happening. You know, our characters are already kind of in situ. Um, Something's happening, and then, you know, the writers throw out like a a tantalising crumb. And then the title music hits, and that's just meant to grab you. That, that, that's a cold open, isn't it? You know, for, for, you know, for, for listeners that m- maybe my explanation wasn't clear. I mean, Bond does cold opens brilliantly, doesn't it? You know, you, so
1: that's the, that's
0: the prime example, isn't it? A
1: cold opening of necessity has a is, it, is a pre-title sequence, is it? I
0: would say so. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think okay. so. I think I think it needs to go into the sting of the title music to qualify. Right. This, this this is the part I didn't understand.
1: Hmm. Uh, Honestly I thought the the idea of a cold opening was <clears throat> and this is not incompatible with what you just said but I yeah. thought the idea of a cold opening was you don't have the establishing shot you don't have for instance Sam Seely looking at uh, checking his rabbit traps mm. um you literally begin the and it, it it's it's a Jean-Luc Godard editing technique which is to reduce the length of the film and get it into the time you want you chop out bits from scenes yeah you don't, don't ditch whole entire scenes. Yeah. Uh, but you, you'll cut out all of the bits of someone taking a cigarette out of the pack. That's right, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is obviously a devastating blow to the conventions of French cinema, if you're going to start taking those bits oh out.
0: Oh my God, I mean, a French movie's only going to be 20 minutes long if you don't see <laughs> people taking their fags out of the packet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, um Yeah, my, my understanding of a cold opening was basically that those first few minutes, um, you begin the narrative at precisely the poignant bit of the dialogue. So the title card, the the BBC title card might go off, and then immediately the music starts halfway through a bar. Uh, People are already moving around.
0: Somebody might be halfway through delivering a line. Sure. I I think that's a very strict definition. I think you're right, Doc. I I think, uh, you know, a very strict definition is exactly what you described, but I I think it's also used just kind of more broadly to yeah, refer to a pre-title sequence. So obviously, one of the many things, one of the many
1: television things that I grew up on was ITC series, um, which pretty much all have a pre-title sequence. Yeah, you give, give us some examples, though. Uh Well, The Prisoner is the obvious one. Yeah.
0: Maybe.
1: The Tomorrow People is a weird one because they they have the they have the secondary um, title sequence, which is normally used to contain the recap. But then, obviously, each story. Starts with a, a, a little teaser before the secondary title sequence mm. happens. Mm. I feel as though most um, the problem with ITC series, and I know everyone says this, they all blend in together. Like mm. after a little while, I've mm-hmm. watched so many of them, um, it's really, really hard to work out which bit was from the champions and which bit was from the Baron
0: and which bit was from.
1: Would,
0: would the Doombolt Chase count? Because that's a personal favourite of mine. I love that show. <laughs>
1: The made by HTV.
0: Right. So, uh, made out of Bristol. That hasn't got a pre-title sequence of any kind. I can't kind. remember. I did, I, 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 it just kind of came to mind as you listed a, a couple of those shows.
1: It's got what you might call an exciting opening, mm. but uh, it like, it doesn't have a pre-title sequence. Mm. There's nothing that punctuates um, the, the prelude mm. from the episode proper. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say no for that one. Um, I was thinking about The Prisoner then in the episode, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, which oh, has, yes. one, of the, which has one, one of the best ones I've ever seen, where you're immediately dropped into some people having a really intense scientific discussion about something you don't understand, but you instinctively know is bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of the words that anyone is speaking makes a lick of sense at the sure. moment. And finally you see a really really bad photographic transparency being projected onto a screen and someone goes do we know where seltzman is mm-hmm. nothing you've seen so far makes none of the words of english make any sense to you at all but it's very very modernist um it's the it's a way to use language in the shape of language so that people can understand the meaning without even understanding the words
0: Yeah, it's a great example. One of my (laughs) favorite cold openings is um, from a a Star Trek Next Generation episode called Cause and Effect. I don't know if you remember that episode, Doc, where they're kind of trapped in a time loop. Um, And so the events of the story kind of play out five times, I think, in total throughout. It's just the repetition, and each iteration is slightly different as they kind of remember shit that happened in the past and and kind of figure out a way to, to break the loop um go on doc well no i was just going to say because i mean that's that's a
1: very modernist thing to do as well as mm. you know where you um i think Pinter does this at least once and beckett does it at least once where you have a short narrative and you run it many times with small mm. just with, with with small differences in between it
0: mm-hmm. that's exactly the structure of this episode but the cold open i think is only like if my memory is correct it's only about 10 seconds long uh which is dead short for for trick and it, it I think you just. I think it's just. Forgive me, listeners, if my memory's a bit faulty, but this is, this is my recollection. It's just like an exterior shot of the Enterprise, and you hear Picard's voice, the captain, the captain's voice, and you just hear him say, "All hands, abandon ship! All hands, abandon ship!" And then the 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 the, 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 the ship clearly kind of go- goes out of control, starts spinning through space, and then explodes and then <laughs> then it goes into the top what a fucking cold open that is you know honestly if you're not gripped at that point you've got no love of tv i would argue
1: damage report
2: casualty reports coming in from all over the ship
1: the starboard nacelle has sustained a direct impact we are venting drive plasma initiating emergency car shutdown Inertial
3: damper is failing. We're losing attitude control. This is the bridge. All hands to emergency escape pods. Core shutdown is unsuccessful. We're losing antimatter containment.
0: We've got to eject the core. Injection systems offline. Core breach is imminent. All out of abandon ship.
1: I now believe I understand what cold openings are, and they weren't quite what I thought they were. So thank mm. you very much for that. Um, no, you're welcome. I, I, um, I don't mind them being in Doctor Who at all. I never did mind them. In, in fact, in a few weeks, we're going to get onto my favourite Doctor Who story ever, which has
0: a cold open. Oh, brilliant! There we go. Yeah, the lovely, lovely throw forward there, Doctor. Keep yeah, was gripped. I love it. Um, so just in case there was ever
1: any doubt in your mind, no, uh, doing, um, doing a. Do, doing effectively an expositional pre-title sequence before the real story even gets going, doesn't bother me at all. No, good, yeah. Have you got another point for us, Doc? I was a bit irked by yeah. the fact that it's set 5 billion years. It, it's, there's, there's no way there's going to be any recognisable sapient life in 5 billion <laughs> years' time. Sure, yeah. Um, there's no, I mean, apart from the fact that they wanted to show the Earth being destroyed, mm. Um, I would have liked it better if they had put some sort of line in about, because it, obviously it's it's a story about, and I think very poignantly for the time, and a little foresightedly for the time, it's a story about how the mega rich and the idle rich um, waste the stupid amounts of capital they have at their disposal.
2: Sure.
3: And oh I, would
1: have, I would have liked it better if they'd have just put in a line about all of these creatures are actually from the 30th century but uh, they've paid to have a limited amount of time travel so they can go and watch the end of the earth
0: oh yeah, that, that, yeah that, that, that'd be a neat little um trick wouldn't it just yeah to, to to get around that that pesky problem of evolution
1: yeah i mean you know. Five billion years. There's there's no way there's going to be anything even recognisable as a tree person by then.
0: Yeah, because you know, five billion years ago, you and me were were were, were fucking microbes, weren't we, Doc? Like Single cell uh, single-celled organisms. If we even existed su- at all, I suspect we were a cloud of gas. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we even uh, existed in any kind of state. I, I don't know when. I don't know when the like the Cambrian explosion took place, Doc. I, I can't remember. I My believe. Days.
1: I believe the Precambrian era, so the detection of ammonites and trilobites, I believe is considered to
0: be um, as recently as 600 million years. Wow, oh, there you go, yeah. Something that always astonishes me is when you see a timeline of life on Earth and you see kind of how close humanity is to the last of the dinosaurs and then how fucking long it is to the first of the dinosaurs. I think in our heads we think that, You know, stegosauruses and diplodocuses and tyrannosauruses all kind of wandered around together, but there's hundreds of millions of years between them. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, when you, um,
1: the first thing you've got to realise when you look at your kiddie dinosaur book um, is most of those dinosaurs in that picture were never um, on the earth at the same time.
0: Mm, It is bonkers when you look at when you see it as a timeline. Yeah, Um, and then what you're referring
1: to, obviously, is the fact that. The era of life in the oceans is about twice as long as the era of life on land. Mm, um. And the more advanced that evolution gets, the more it seemed to squish up and squish up. And so like once evolution takes a long time to get going, but once it does, it starts moving really, really quickly. I think they do
0: try to address it a little bit, don't they, with the uh, Cassandra character? Sure. It doesn't bother me that I, I'm I'm not picky enough about stuff like
1: this for it to harm the story for me. Of um, I just think it's a bit silly the idea that there's going mm. to be anything recon- even remotely recognisable in five billion years. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like a figure that's obviously where they have got five billion years from is that, that they've they've got to pick a time that's convenient to watch the Earth being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I would have just liked it better if they'd have said. And for people who are that rich and that decadent, um, it's sort of pretty much now the same way that um, stupidly rich people can pay some Canadian man a lot of money and they can have, like, the vaguest, most outside, plausible claim that they've been real astronauts. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: they've blasted off into space, in yes. quotes. Yeah, yeah. you mean,
1: 15 seconds of weightlessness. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What a bunch um, of wankers. Yeah, I mean... It, you know someone said to me quite recently um you get uh you could have joined the parachute regiment for free and got much closer to being a fucking astronaut than that
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredibly biting and incredibly accurate brilliant yes yeah, yeah i like <laughs> that a lot yeah so I do, do, every time that stuff comes on the news i do i do just sit there and think you bunch of cunt stock. I mean, i'm sorry it's a, that, that's the thought that goes through my head but effectively in in 2021,
1: um, that kind of thing is real, and that's what this episode is mocking, isn't it?
0: Sure. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we've got to remember it was 16 years ago, and, and, and maybe this did seem like, a, you know, the, the reality we're currently living in did seem like a bit of a pipe dream, you know? I just
1: think um, you could have made a really nice sociopolitical point about you've got all of these rich idiots playing at time travel. And I think yeah. it would have been, it would especially in the light of what we get to know about the Doctor by the end of the episode, mm-hmm. it would have been a really nice compare and contrast that some some guy turns up who really actually knows about time travel and this is what he does for a living.
0: Sure, yeah. no, it, it, It's a really, really good point. What did you make of the, um, the psychic paper, Doc? Because it, it is quite divisive in... Um, a Modern Who fandom, you know, some people really, really like it. Some people feel that it's it's just like a get out of jail card for the writers. But I'm kind of yeah. somewhere down the middle. I do, I like it as a concept, but it but it does get overused.
1: I know exactly why they did it, and I think that's a good thing. At the same time, I don't. Yeah, I will now explain. I can guess. I I've got a pretty sure idea why they did it, which is that it it's to get around the fact that. A popular criticism of Doctor Who was that the now at least half of the narrative length of any Doctor Who story was the Doctor getting captured and locked up and escaping from jail and arguing with guards and arguing with authority figures and I can absolutely understand why in the 45 minute format they wanted to get that out of the way.
0: Yeah, because yeah, you, you just don't have time for that do you in, in 45 minutes? You know, you've, you've got to trim the fat and that's the fat that needs trimming.
1: Yeah, the problem is that um. Unless it's done really lazily and really badly, um, the bits where the doctor gets captured and locked up and argues with guards and argues with bureaucratic authority figures are some of my favourite bits of Doctor Who. Yeah,
0: yeah, because yeah, it establishes the doctor's character, doesn't it? You know, as this kind of anti-authoritarian, militant, you know, provocateur.
1: Yeah, um, and maybe people, maybe the. The crew of producers in two thousand or the 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 creative people in year two thousand and five just thought that had been done to death or at the very least didn't need to be done anymore. Mm. So I can really understand them putting this narrative device in place that's basically it's it's as much there a warning for the writers as, as a convenience. And it's like, no, don't even be thinking about doing that stuff. Don't even think about wasting time or trying to waste time by putting in a bit where the doctor has to argue with an authority thing he's got this thing now and all he does um is show it to anybody uh it's it's a backstage pass for anywhere in the universe yeah that's right yeah Mm -hmm. there is a, a sort of cultural influence here in 2005 that was still and knowing what i know about russell t davis and the fact that he's been a bit of a socialite on occasion. This was sort of coming off the era of, I don't even know if these were still a thing, but um, in the 90s, um, people used to call them face fascist, uh, but the hyper-exclusive super clubs were very much a thing, and anyone who tried to get in would be greeted by some, like, SS guard going, your name's not on the list, you're not coming in. Yeah, sure. And I can imagine a whole bunch of people uh, who wasted a lot of time going through that really, really, really wish they had the psychic paper. I think you'll find this is a guest pass.
0: Mm. There's (laughs) a great story that Frank Skinner tells where he was trying to get into... um, He was playing at a a, a big venue, something like the Apollo, um, and he was the headline act. And there was like an overly officious security guard on the door. Um, you know, you, know, you know, show, show me your papers, basically, show me your ID. And uh, he didn't have anything on him. And he said, well, I can't let you in. And, and Skinner just kind of pointed behind him and then pointed to his face, to his own face.
2: You know, cause, <laughs> cause
0: there was a massive poster of of him, <laughs> and then he just pointed to his... And, you know, he makes the point that, you, you know, in a different circumstance, that would be a really wankerish thing to do. But it was the only way he could prove actually I am entitled to come in brother. Yeah, so I I
1: think it's a really neat joke uh, mm. because anyone who's ever had to try and get past a security guard to get somewhere where they know they've been invited to yeah, or um, had to try and get through not even a foreign airport, had to try and get through customs at Heathrow Airport when you're really, really tired after a
0: really long journey. It's oh. my country, damn it! Yeah, oh, I mean, the, my worst experience was at San Francisco um, Airport. And we ended up... Um, we ended up in the... like, the, Is it the IRS? I think is the initialism. Um, oh. Yeah. For about three hours. You know, just kind of Having to explain why we were there—it was so, honestly so painful, uh, really, really awful. Awful first experience of America. So, those are some of the
1: reasons the psychic paper doesn't bother me. Yeah, um, it encourages narrative economy, <laughs> um, and it makes me smile because it's—it's it's one of those things that, if you've ever tried to do anything interesting with your life, it's one of those things that you—you you really, really wish you'd had. You, <laughs> you, you <know. laughs>
0: yeah, wouldn't it be great? Yeah, it, it, I, I like that. Doc, you know the thought of actually possessing it, so you can just kind of liberally wander around the world and pretty much go wherever the fuck you want. I mean, I I, I'm going to stick my neck out here, and uh,
1: the kind of Doctor Who fans (laughs) who criticise the psychic paper are the kind of people who've never actually tried to do anything
0: interesting in their lives. Sure. Yeah, yeah, they're they're still dwelling in their fucking parents' parents' basement, aren't they? With their with their white plastic bag, basically. (laughs) Talking, bag yeah that's what we're talking about oh man um are we done with five rounds rapid should we move on to the next section yeah commander you are authorized to use the mind probe what no not the mind probe welcome to part three of the show which we call not the mind probe uh, here we you know, we, we, we try to talk about politics and influences at the time, but inevitably we wander off on wild tangents. Um, a bit of uh, some details here, just to kind of ground this episode in the reality of the time as it went out. Um, this was broadcast on the 2nd of April, 2005. Um, US film releases of note at the time. We had uh, Sin City, which I think is Robert Rodriguez. That's like the really, have you seen that one, Doc? Like the really stylized ultra-violent um kind of comic book on on film yeah um is is there Zack schneider involvement oh it could be Zack Snyder, not robert rodriguez yeah it, it, yeah that's one for the errata next time um, yeah i think it's i think it's rodriguez but now you've said Zack Snyder, i think you might be right brother
1: um and it's based on a an original work by frank miller right
0: it's i think it's. yeah I, I wasn't sure if it was frank miller or alan moore it's what you but one of the big hitters yeah. Um, so um, I think we can probably say um, if it does turn out to
1: be a work by Zack Snyder based on the work of Frank Miller, um, probably problematic gender politics would be <laughs> <you> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, It'd be interesting to rewatch it actually.
1: Um, foreigners cannot be trusted, and all women are whores. I think that's probably a good place to
0: start. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's yeah, you, yeah. that tickled me. Um, it's very heavily stylised. I think it's. They, they, they do, they, they put some, I think it's kind of live action but then they they put some kind of filter over it to make it look like it's kind of you know, animation um, and I think it's all in black and white apart from blood which is obviously like vibrant red and I think there's one female, I mean talking about your politics, your, like gender politics identity politics, I think there's kind of one beautiful female character whose red dress always stands out as like, the only thing that isn't in black and white right. it's a cracker from what i remember mm. from what i remember it. The, the, the other film i know is uh fever pitch which is the the you know the 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 movie version of what's his name nick hornby nick hornby yeah yeah that's it we, we're, we're getting
1: to the stuttering last throes of cool britannia era brit mm.
0: flips aren't we mm-hmm. that's it yeah and I, yeah and I, I, I think this was really really was one of the last entries in that particular genre we're a
1: um, very
0: quick and long way from train spotting by now, aren't we oh we really are yeah you're right uh, uk number one singles obviously only one because it's uh, you know a, a, a single episode um it's tony christie featuring peter k with is this the way to amarillo which i do remember i think it was some kind of charity something it, it was either for like comic relief or for children in need something like that China.
1: dawning a sunday morning here is what a, a stat i would love to come up with mm. because we seem when, when we do the at number one this week we seem uh-huh. to be
0: drawing an alarmingly high percentage of novelty records you're right yeah yeah because we had two little boys I think yes that's a uh, live aid and now yes. yeah, amarillo you're quite right doc I hadn't spotted that yeah it's very strange no explanation. So, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Yeah. Come on, the doc. I think this is your your time to shine here. What, what what's going on in the world? Just to remind everyone,
1: um, as if anyone cares. I was when this episode was first broadcast. I was squarely out of the loop of mm. um, what one might call popular culture. I haven't quite retired into the mountains to grow a big beard of owls living in it. Although I had thought about it. <laughs> But I I was suffering from, not suffering, I'd undergone a little millennialism. I'd undergone my 30th birthday by then. And I had sort of firmly decided that I was going to take a break, maybe forever, and leave the kids' stuff alone to the, and it's like, that stuff's not yours anymore. Kids' stuff isn't yours. Um, Stay away from um, popular films. Stay away from popular music. consider what it might mean to start acting your fucking age Mm. and leave all that stuff alone for a little while. So that's kind of why Doctor Who came and went, because I knew it was there. I could have tracked it down and watched it if I'd really wanted to. But I was... And and this is going to sound horribly pretentious, but it is. I was undergoing so many profound personal changes at the time. Sure. Um, I knew I couldn't possibly do justice to it. And... Um, I was concerned about being precisely the kind of old school fan, the kind of old fart that a new school Doctor Who really didn't need hanging around its fucking neck
0: well, it's when difficult it was to do something new and different. It's difficult to focus on kind of current culture when you kind of grow in a fresh pair of uh, tentacles every other week, Doc. So I think you can be forgiven. Yeah, um,
1: I, I I, wasn't fully laquescent <laughs> at that point. I still yeah. looked one of the it's it's even a bit of nostalgia for those days one of the reasons that mo calls me dr l um is because it's a short version i wasn't completely dr loquessence in the year 2005.
0: No, that's right yeah yeah um, the, the, the halcyon days when you when you could retain some kind of human form
1: yeah um hmm. as uh, when, when when i had a passing complexion
0: <laughs> um so Um,
1: I don't really know what was happening. I I don't know for reals what was happening in in, in popular culture in 2005. I suspect it was the beginning of the era of the super rich. And Mm -hmm. I need to spend a couple of minutes talking about this. When I was little, um, wealthy people, and the expression was dated by then, but it was still in use, what people in the 50s used to call the jet set. Sure. And there was sort of an understanding that these people would be the not merely rich and not merely extravagant but they would be the wildest most adventurous most interesting people you you would want to go to their parties basically because any one of them um you would want to stand behind them in a conversation and just listen to them talk poorly mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah and just listen to them sound off about their tales of the wild shit they had done and the beautiful people they'd fucked mm. and the crazy dangerous situations they had been in and it would be i don't say necessarily a privilege to be around them uh, but it would be the best entertainment of your life ever just to be able to hang around some of these conversations and let these people and and, and listen to these people speak
0: sure the jet setters
1: yeah so um i mean I'll come up with some names a bit later on. Um, too many to mention at the moment, but I, I need to boil it down to a few permanent names. By the time you get to the year 2005, I get the idea that the equivalent, what are now referred to as the super rich, the raison d'etre is merely to be
0: rich. And that's that, that, that's the most interesting thing about them. Yeah, the, 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 this is a really good point you're making, Doc, and something I've, I've, I've thought about often. It, you know, 30, 40 years ago, when people were extravagantly rich they would get up to extravagant things wouldn't they you know yes, and 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 they would live like a decadent lifestyle but the, the, the but but the like the extravagantly rich now are just such a bunch of boring fucking wankers what's the point in having all that money yeah i mean i am I'm, I'm just
1: trying to imagine and this this is a fantasy construction obviously you can go to a party that's being hosted by
0: um Cubby broccoli or Um, Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah,
1: or Richard Burton or Mm -hmm. Mick Jagger. And he's invited, let's say, Michael Hare or um, Anthony Burgess or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a a high-low mix of broke but entertaining intellectuals, F1 drivers,
0: pilots,
1: journalists, um, people who've done a bunch of fucking shit that nobody
0: else even dares to do, let alone can afford to do. Yeah, who, who do you want at your party? James Hunt or Louis? <laughs> fucking, I couldn't be more boring if I tried Hamilton. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's extraordinary. I think the same thing's true of music. You know, whose party do I want to go to? Do I want to go to, I don't know, you know, the party that where, where the Rolling Stones and Motorhead are going to be there or yes. fucking Travis and Coldplay get fucked. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, uh,
1: whose party would you um, rather be at, Ed Sheeran or um, Lou Reed? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right. I mean, it's just no contest. You know, I, w- I, w- I, want, I want to be at Freddie Mercury's party, snorting cocaine <laughs> or fucking dwarfs. That's what I want to do. <laughs> you know? So I think this episode
1: is kind of a nicely observed observation about this which i I think in 2005 it was a fairly new phenomenon in 2021 it's established that super rich people are notable at the beginning and end for the fact that they are that they're extremely wealthy and that's it none of them none of them do anything with their
0: wealth sure yeah i mean cassandra's the 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 great example of that that, i love that character cassandra um it's it's such a great concept really really well realized incidentally yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the, the actual realisation on screen is remarkable. Voiced by Zoe Wanamaker as well, I mean, quite a big hitter in terms quite a of coo- say it again, Doc. Quite a coup. Exactly, yeah. You know, you know, I mean A-list at the time I would suggest, because you know, she she was off the back of um what's he called? Bridget Jones, I think.
1: Um, that was uh well you're not conflating her with Renée Zaguela, are you?
0: I am. Yes, I am, Doc. I was think, Yes, thank you, sir. you have saved me um, much embarrassment
1: there. Yeah, I, I mean, it still doesn't take anything away from it. Zoe Wanamaker, I'd say, is like the um, the kind of um, top level
0: of solid British character actors. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're uh, right, Doc. Yes, yeah, you you are spot on. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking it was the American um, actress. Yeah, from Bridget Jones. But no, you're quite right. She, yeah, Zoe Wanamaker. She's the um, best known probably for that god-awful sitcom, My Family. Yes. Yeah, hmm But um, it doesn't take away from, you know, the, the, the panache that her name brings. Sure. Um,
1: I think in future discussions of class politics, I think My Family will have to be uh, brought up and
0: mercilessly uh, yeah. scrutinized <laughs> I look forward to that, Doc. Uh, can we have but a But not of a- today. So we're talking about Cassandra, and that's an interesting choice of name, isn't it, as a character. My understanding is that in Greek mythology, um, the character of Cassandra could like predict the future, but was generally ignored. People didn't believe what she said, even though when she spoke, inevitably her predictions came true. Um, yeah, she, she, was, she, she was cursed to, to never be believed. That's it, but, but, and here, It's almost like the character of Cassandra is a prediction on the part of the writer, Russell T. Davis, of course, of the future of humanity, whether we want to believe it or not. I mean, that's the way that I interpreted it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good interpretation. Yeah. Following on from that, because I think that dovetails beautifully with, um, I I think we're going to see a lot of Russell T. Davis's, not necessarily demons, but a, a lot of Russell T. Davis's life and experience and i think this this point about the the, the decadence of the wealthy or, or, or decadence in general um and the very last few minutes of this episode i think tying into this too obviously most people know russell davis um
0: had been into some pretty wild shit in his youth sure and, and 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 he's quite candid about it in interviews and you know even seeing his kind of non-who work i think it's it's pretty much you know Semi autobiographical.
1: Yeah, and the point I think I'd like to make here is that um
0: he got away with it. Many people he knew didn't get away mm. with it, and I think he's got a lot of survivor guilt. You're talking about the gay plague, basically. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, sure. no. It's a cool a thing, what it is, and talking about AIDS. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And I, I think within the, the like in the last five minutes of this episode, you you, you get a pretty, like. Unabashed um, confrontation of that now, don't you? I
0: mm. know, oh, you, you're quite right, and and, and the, like the AIDS crisis um, is fresh in my mind actually. Because I, I, either last night or the night before, me and my housemates um, watched uh, like a Freddie Mercury retrospective, mm. um, and so it, it kind of delved into that, and you know, just kind of really kind of grounded it in in, in that world. But, but you know, but it is totally understandable. You know, somebody who lived through that period as a gay man. You know why that's going to be front and center of, of a lot of your kind of creative output. Totally understand. Yeah.
1: Um, you might know this, not being a gay man myself, um, and, and sort of standing on the outside and trying to put things together from what I've observed. Sure. Was Cassandra sort of created? Do you think to become either a
0: gay icon or to be a parody of gay icons? Yeah. know, I, I, yeah, I think it, I think it was RTD having fun basically um i don't think you know i don't think he he would have had thoughts that she would become iconic in the gay community but i certainly think that um yeah he was he was just kind of playing with playing playing with that concept because the, the, there must exist somewhere in the world there must exist a very tight lycra muscle shirt <laughs> with,
1: with, with cassandra's face on it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i can well imagine it i don't i would not want it back in the day doc if, if i'd have had one that's for yeah, sure. um, yeah, I'd have bought it for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd have gone um, to Clone Zone and bought it for you. Yeah, I mean, talking to Cassandra <laughs> Clone Zone in Birmingham? Brilliant, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. What a great shop. Um, <laughs> I mean, talking to Cassandra, and if we and if we're trying to find links to kind of other stuff in the zeitgeist, is it me or, or is she like a, like a sanitised version of Brother Frank from Hellraiser? And also, the evil doctor from from beyond. To me, her character really reminded me of those of those characters. Can you explain why, Doctor?
1: Um, the Frank, the um, the Clyde Barker illusion. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I can really imagine there being a cinnabarite exactly like Lady Cassandra. Mm. So, the, this this idea that you have um, effectively, when you seek extremity the difference between pleasure and pain becomes absolutely meaningless and then existent. that's it Um, pain and pleasure indivisible i thought i'd gone to the limits i hadn't the cenobites gave me an experience beyond the limits pain and pleasure indivisible Yeah, Um, Yeah. when you set off down a route of monomaniacal extremity, Mm -hmm. it's quite interesting to me that the physical appearance of the Cenobites with the body modification surgery and the piercings, it was very, very shocking to a lot of people when that film first came out. But I mean, it's not out of the question that you could take the tube one morning and see someone who doesn't look greatly different. you know someone with a bunch of metal shoved through their face or
0: well no it, it is interesting isn't it you know I mean, you know I, I work with a guy who i mean to all intents and purposes looks like the fucking kurgan from highlander <laughs> yeah you know, but but 35 years ago the kurgan was really outrageous and extreme but but now it's just a bloke it's just a bloke that works in the supermarket you know <laughs> yeah so um
1: the Kleinbarker- Connection had never occurred to me before, but yeah, I think it's spot on. Mm. Um, I assume that the starting point for Lady Cassandra was these sort of appalling old Hollywood queens who, like, married a talented young doctor 40 years younger than sure. they were. Uh-huh. Um, so they could have a personal plastic surgeon to keep on fixing them up.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It, 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 it's such a great. Um, uh, bit of writing for me like character creation because it's it's, it's just Russell you know kind of saying just warning people isn't it you know be you know be careful what you wish for be careful the path that you tread because this is the logical conclusion of it and is that really what you want
1: yeah and I I think it's an interesting application to what's I'm going to say that's what hard science fiction actually is Mm. it's taking speculative concept and then without breaking, whilst breaking as little logic as possible, pushing it to the extreme that you can. And mm. I think that's, uh, uh, let's say, I think that's where we got the Cybermen from.
0: Sure. Um, because the Cybermen are the almost the original kind of body horror villains, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's obviously, it, it, it seems to be Kit Peddler's extrapolation of, like, watch where you're going with transplant surgery and prosthetic surgery. Yeah and um, modern psychology if you start replacing bits of your flesh and blood with bits of metal and plastic and if you start working on your own head to do things such as eliminating emotions uh-huh. yeah um, so I, I, I think it's taking basically what science fiction is to it uh, fixating on concept and whilst breaking as little logic and as little hard science as possible pushing it to the extreme ontology of what that concept is capable of embracing this is where it
0: will end up you know i mean obviously you know my love of, of trek always comes into our conversations and you know i mean obviously the borg of the next iteration of this really i don't really count i don't well what's your take on this doc do, do we skip over what are the things is cybernauts what from, from the avengers yeah, they're cybernauts. Cybernauts. I mean, are they kind of in the same bracket for you? Because in my head, they kind of are.
1: Um, if you ask me, the cybernauts are completely rooted in class politics. So mm. in that first episode with them in, um, the main cybernaut you see, and I, I can never get this image out of my head of him being like a, a, a deranged encyclopedia salesman. Right, um, yeah, great, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's a working-class man who's been stuffed into a suit and an overcoat and a trilby hat. Mm. And he's now, he's, he's now convinced that because he wears a suit and not overalls to work, um, he's middle-class now. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the first time you see him, he's battering down the door of a rich guy trying to get to talk to this rich guy.
0: Sure, because, yeah, because he wants his money.
1: Yeah, and the, uh, but the only way he can react is with rage. Yeah. and then of course the, the final confrontation of that episode is where that the the aspirational middle classes, the guy who's now convinced that he's middle class, um, is confronted with the the cybernaut technician, um, who of course destroys him in the end. Mm. Um, is a blue-collar cybernaut. Sure. He's a work. He's a working-class cybernaut who hasn't turned his back. Uh, t- turned his back on his
0: roots, and he wears the flat cap and overalls. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's really, really insightful stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Any other point here, doc, for me? Um, um, of, i you know, you know, just kind of connect it to I don't know, or the movies or the TV shows. Where's this all come from? Where's you know, where's the influence?
1: Well, it, I don't think it has to have come from anywhere. Mm. I, um, Russell T. Davis had already built himself a very large reputation as one of the most original in fact one of the few really original
0: thinkers writing in television mm, in
3: that
0: yeah. period. i bloody love russell t Davies. i don't and and i'm and, 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 you know I'm, I'm unabashed about saying it i think pretty much everything he touches turns to gold i think the show well no. i think i think doc, when when doctor who returned it was blessed to have him at the helm and has never quite been the same since he left and, and he was only there for three or four years my neck out here and say this is what works for me about russell t davis yeah go on um
1: a little while ago i alluded to the fact that um the reason that kinder got under my skin so badly when i was very very young Mm. is i didn't understand a single thing about it and what it made me do was to determine myself that someday i was going to understand so um for eight-year-old me that was a whole bunch of alien concepts and a whole bunch of alien ideas. And yeah. I think what Russell C. Davis is capable of doing, and he does this by integrating elements of queer culture, which mm. is alien to me, it's nothing I've ever been involved in. Sure. He's able to bring into Doctor Who a whole bunch of stuff that I've never encountered in my life and made the, and made the fabric of the program alien and not just its subject matter.
0: I mean, I've dabbled in queer culture, you know, um, I've been, you know, I've been on Nights Out and, you know, and, and, and personal life experiences have, 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 have flavoured, you know, my experiences of that world. And, uh, you know, he, he just he's kind of sprinkles it into his products, even like the the non-gay shows. I mean, I, I mean obviously, like Queer as Folk and Cucumber and Year by Year, uh, you know, grounded in, in gay culture but, but who is not I mean obviously it is it is always it's always there isn't it in Doctor Who like the you know like, like, like the gay friendliness yeah um, by the way
1: um you needn't be so modest um I believe you've seen Hazel Dean live you don't get Had much quite <laughs>
0: right you're absolutely correct yeah. I saw <laughs> Hazel Dean live and I was wearing a pair of leather pants <laughs> at the time <laughs> get, get fucked if, if, if that if that bothers you guys but <laughs> um yeah, I think I was wearing a... I was sporting a particularly spectacular pair of tight leather trousers, and a, 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 a really kind of tight, figure-hugging girl power T-shirt. Yeah, you're right. You know. Hazel, <coughs> what a memory, Doc. Oh, my you just blasted me back to the mid nineties. <laughs> <What>
2: a- <laughs> um, uh-huh.
0: Um, There's no need to be falsely modest and say you've dabbled. You've you've been up there. (laughs) Well, I have been up there from time to time. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about Star Wars, Doc. Um, Yes. You know, we're talking about influences on, you know, in this this part of the show. I mean, Star Wars is right front and centre, isn't it, throughout this episode. Could you explain how? What yeah, you... it, it, it's 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 like the multitude <clears throat> in in Star. And you're, you're not really versed in, in in Star Wars, are you, Doc? So I understand you. Why well, that's have seen being... the films. You've seen them, yeah. So you have seen them, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> in Star Wars, the, the A New Hope, so Episode Four, <clears throat> our heroes kind of go and visit a place called Moss Eisley. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, I'm sure everybody listening knows this, you know, it's like a, what would it be? It's like Vegas, I suppose, isn't it? Like a future Vegas kind of place. It's supposed to be Casablanca in space, isn't it? Oh, is it Casablanca? Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good illusion. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's a town
1: full of criminals and refugees and hustlers, and then you've got like the the, the occupant, the foreign occupying power. Sure. Over the top of everything, who are as deeply into all of the corruption and criminality as everybody else is. That's it. So
0: you've got this kind of multitudinous array of different kind of alien life, and 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 I think I think I think Russell's kind of riffing on that. You know, you know, you've kind of got big grand panning shots, and they're deliberately. I think I think they're kind of flashing their budget around. And saying you know look look at the cool shit we can do that we couldn't do you know in 1989 or 1979 oh, yeah. and 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 i really think it i think moss icely is the influence for, for that place where they're where they're at um
1: i don't disagree with you at all i mm. never thought of that yeah i um i had assumed it would be um something like you know uh paris fashion week where yeah. people turn up um uh, deliberately playing up their exoticism and um dressed in obviously purposefully impractical clothing Mm. (laughs) yeah um the reason the reason i uh, without you i never would have made the star wars connection the thing i always take away from star wars and it was the first thing to do it and nothing's ever done it nearly as well since it looks like a film that was made on location in an alien culture that actually exists. Mm -hmm. It doesn't Mm -hmm. look like sets and costumes. Um, It looks specifically like Lucasfilm contracted um, an outsourcing company in that galaxy to make a film for them.
0: I think the reason, I totally agree with you, Doc. One of the things, one of the reasons I love the first Star Wars movie, is kind of almost like the 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 reality in quotes of the location work you know so on tatooine i think i think tatooine isn't it luke's home planet yes like the sand planet um because of course in george lucas's mind every planet only has one kind of ecosystem um so on you know on, on the sand planet of tatooine they don't really use much kind of set dressing, do they? They just use, like the. I think they filmed it in Tunisia, if, if memory is correct.
1: Um,
0: they, they, they use set dressing and they use sets, but they use
1: them in a way that I've never seen before and I've God. rarely seen this. Yeah. Um, so the set dressing and the sets are the stuff you would expect to find around a real person's home mm. or the stuff you would expect to find around a busy port city.
0: Um, yeah. That's it. I'm, I'm thinking of the Jowers. The Jowers are those like little, little kind of dwarf-like figures with a mustache yes. on. Houdini. It's those guys. <laughs> um, and um, you know, when, when we see where they work, it just looks like, you know, like a like a a, a stereotypical American car junkyard, doesn't it? It's fucking great. Yeah.
1: Um, And then when you get to see the inside of their, like, huge tank home factory, Mm. um, it looks like a cross between, like, a a Taiwanese factory trawler and a um, Pittsburgh Steelworks. Sure, yeah. Oh, brilliant, yeah, yeah, great. um, There's a bit in the hangar where the Millennium Falcon takes off from.
0: Mm. There's a bunch of
1: crates piled at the corner, and on the side of the crates there are stenciled, at least two or three different character sets Mm -hmm. and it it just all of this tiny stuff goes a really long way to establishing and none of it's flashy none of it's beautiful but um, we're in a warehouse in a port city um and there's a bunch of crates that have clearly come from a bunch of different destinations and are going to a different bunch of destinations and uh, so that's what i don't particularly take away from this episode um i absolutely agree with you um, all of that money is up on screen to say, look what we can do now. This is definitely not your dad's Doctor Who. Mm. Can you imagine, can, as much as I love the Graham Williams era, can you imagine how crap this would have looked in season
0: 15? Oh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? You know, there, there is just no comparison here. You know, and, 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 and I think as, as we kind of progress through this project, I'm increasingly going to try and separate the two eras, because I, I, I don't really see the validity in comparing the two because they are just such, diff- it's apples and oranges, they're such different products. Why is- do people insist? I'm sorry to in- I'm sorry. God. Why do people insist on, you know, kind of holding them up against each other as if, as if they should be somehow comparable? I don't think they are. It's a different time. It's, <clears throat> you know, totally different creators, totally different levels of, of, of budget, and of course classic who by every kind of logical metric metric, classic who loses every time but but that's not reality is it it's less problematic for me to approach this than I think it is
1: for many other people because I'm coming to a a lot of this I'm coming to for the first time ever in the year 2021 Mm, brilliant yeah this thing that we're watching now is already 16 years old and Uh this is this is why I'm going to insist on playing the timeline game Mm. Um, as often as possible because it's really useful for me to fixate in my head um, the difference between the end of Classic Who um, and the thing we're watching now and then if you take that amount of time and project backwards in time from there where does it take you? Sure Um, The most crucial thing for me is that the original series or Classic Who or whatever people want to call it um, was made on a BBC budget effectively for domestic consumption and exports were a bonus that nobody particularly anticipated. Mm. This thing that we're watching now is made for an international audience with the idea of exports baked into it from, from, from the very beginning. Sure. I know um, production economics and import export economics is not as narratively exciting as other things we can talk about, but I think it's terribly important in understanding where the shape of this this, this new program comes from. You. You couldn't you cannot do season seventeen in the context of this new programme. You can't do stuff that's entirely based on understanding tiny intricacies of UK culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not possible to do it.
0: Like all of that stuff is 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 closed off from you. I do, but i do like the fact that they they do make it very british like with, with the inclusion of rose's family now i mean you can take them take them or leave them and i, I understand the irritation and for me they you know they do get a bit soap opera at times as, as we'll see as we progress through the season um but but i do like the fact that they kind of exist in the show because i agree with you doc i am very conscious as i'm watching it that this is for an international market it is not for domestic consumption particularly t- you know th- that is not its raison d'etre basically no. You know, the, 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 I, watched, the, I
1: watched Shada quite recently yeah i understand it i i understand every single influence and every single illusion that's in it and mm-hmm. i only went to a very minor university in northern england mm-hmm. um I don't think if you showed that to someone from any other foreign country nowadays, I don't think they would have a clue what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just
0: like the frame of reference is is too wacky. Well, it's not the fact that it's wacky. Um, The words Cambridge University are never mentioned. Mm -hmm. Ah, yes. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Because we just know, don't we? We just intrinsically know. Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, you're, you're, you're just expected to know. And yeah. who's, this little, who's, who's this
1: little guy with the bow of the hat? Why is there a little guy with the... Well, because at Cambridge colleges, you have... I, I don't know whether they're Scouts or Skips. Um, if there are any Oxford or Cambridge people out there, um, then they can probably put me straight on that. Uh, but they have um, college servants who do mm. that job. And mm. none of this stuff is ever explained. You're, 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 you're just supposed to know. Do they call them servants, Doc? Is that the um, word that's used? As an honorific. Wow. Okay. Uh huh. Um, yeah. So there's there's all kinds of conventions and traditions around even different kinds of coll- even different colleges in Oxford and Cambridge. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm outside my comfort zone here. But um, referring to referring to a college servant is um, it's it's an honorific. Wow. That,
0: that, that's absolutely incredible incredible stuff. Um, what do you make of um, the use of, like, maybe not contemporary, but modern music in the show? Um, sometimes I have real problems when they use modern music in Who, but this one seemed okay to me. It, it, it all felt very kind of Bond influenced. And, 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 and so, of course, that, yeah. To me, that's that's always satisfactory. The, it's the two tracks that, I, oh, sorry, Doc, the two tracks that I picked out that I think are the most prominent is uh, the they the play "Toxic" by Britney Spears. I can't you say I'm calling. A
3: guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. I can't wait, I need a hit. Baby, give me it. Mm-hmm.
0: And tainted love. Um, by Soft Cell. And I, I, I just think they're kind of great choices. I, I think th- again, I think I think Russell had his hand in this because you know, op- I mean, obviously both tracks are very, you know, they're big hits in in in, in, in Gayland, um, but also they're kind of timeless. You know what I mean? They're, 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 these tracks, certainly Tainted Love, has endured for long enough now that it's just in the zo- it's just in this in the social consciousness, isn't it? It doesn't really exist as a song anymore. It just exists as part of British culture if that makes sense um, yeah and and Toxic of course is a bit more modern but that has kind of that Bondy kind of vibe <laughs> it's that one you know I think it's a deliberate choice you know to say you know we, we're kind of we're not exploring the world like in Bond Bond explores the world but we're Doctor Who and we're expo- exploring the universe and I think that's why they chose it
1: Um. <clears throat> The use of what we might loosely call contemporary pop hits, yeah. um, which the Britney track was kind of contemporary, and the soft cell one most definitely wasn't.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I like it because it's um, playing with fire so very, very much. On. Obviously, um, one of the criticisms that gets chucked around about Doctor Who a lot is it looks dated, yeah. and obviously it's in, in the era where all television is supposed to be an instant, timeless classic. Huh. You are supposed to stay away from anything that will make your 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 program look dated or sound dated.
0: Silly, cocksuckers,
1: man. Yeah, yeah. Just just getting in your face and going, yeah, Britney Spears. It's two thousand and five. It's yeah. two thousand and five, cocksuckers. Um, yeah. I, I, I just really appreciate it. it's. Yeah, I've got no problem with it, Doc. I'll be honest. Um, it's. It's cruising for a bruising in a way that
0: you really don't see very often in modern times. Great expression, I've heard that. I don't think I've heard that expression in about twenty years. Doug. Cruising for a bruising—that's brilliant. That's really really <laughs> fun. That's really cheered me up. That's great. <laughs> um, video game influences. Do you, want, do you want one of these, Doc? Yes, I can, I can chuck one at you. Um, there's a scene where uh, the Doctor is. He's on some kind of, like, um, conveyor belt, I think. And he's kind of having to avoid fans... No, not fans, like, blades that are swinging left and right. And he kind of has to, like, dodge his way... Honestly, I mean, that is straight out of, like, Mario, Sonic, you know, just... Crash Bandicoot, just platforms in general, man. That's a video game influence I
1: picked up. Oh, good man, Uh, yeah. That's a video game uh, influence or reference that I picked up. Except I picked it up from Manic Miner.
0: Mm. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're going back even further than, than I did. You know, Manic Miner, absolutely brilliant. I mean, anybody that doesn't know Manic Miner, get yourself onto like an an emulator website and go and play that that bad boy. Twenty six levels of platforming madness. Um, so brilliant. I've, I've seen written I've by seen... one guy, doc. One bloke
1: yeah. made it. Um, I saw that being played a couple of times, and this must have been... I'm going to say 83. Yeah. I saw this. I, I, I witnessed it being played by somebody on a very, very jealously-guided Sinclair Spectrum. Sure. And um, if I remember correctly, there is a bit in it which I... Um, and I i think it's got, like, spades or, like, uh, pit-in-the-pendulum kind of pendulums mm-hmm. that swing backwards and forwards that mm-hmm. you have to get your
0: character through. Yeah, no, 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 you're quite right. It, it, it's 20... 20- 20, Manic Minor is 26 levels each level starts with the letter of the alphabet that's why it's 26 oh um, and you know your character you, you're kind of in a room every level is one room these days we'd call it like a dungeon that's the word that would be used for that room so you're like trapped in like a, a dungeon you've um, been talking you've been talking about gay culture too much and you're just <laughs> <kind> of... <laughs> so you're, like, yeah, you're right man yeah London, yeah, like, like, like the fucking the blackout room. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's called the dungeon at the, at the gay club I used to go to, and you you, you kind of en- enter there at your at your own fucking peril, man. I, I never it went it, in there; I was terrified. It have, did it have wiped down walls? Oh, well, I, I imagine so. Yeah, there was spunk spraying left, right, and centre. <laughs> <laughs> um, terrible. Um, but yeah, it, 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 that bit was was just so. Obviously, kind of video game centric. I, don't, I can only imagine that the idea of that scene was with the plan of kind of actually releasing a game, you know, and, and kind of
2: using oh. that.
0: I don't know if that's true, that's but as soon as I saw that, I thought that is so blatant.
1: I would like you to make a a note in your notebook. Yeah, <laughs> because obviously it's 2005. Yeah. And games are most definitely a thing so i would like you to make a note and i would like you to draw to my attention any video game references that you spot in these episodes coming out
0: yeah yeah oh yeah yeah but you know i mean by this time video games are i mean is it the basis of culture because i think video games in 2021 pretty much define culture yeah i don't know if that was quite true in 2005 but i think it's on its way 2005,
1: I think movies and music and television still meant something. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm
0: going to say it's got a pre-Netflix, say, isn't it? Like pre-Netflix, 2005, just about.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say by the year 2012, mm. and since then, uh, and I'm I'm going to say this with 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 a little authority in my voice, video
0: games are popular culture. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think you've educated me on this, doc. You know, you we, we've spoken off mic about this, and you really kind of opened my eyes to that concept. I think you you are quite correct, very, very Um, interesting. And
1: so what I want to do is sort of kind of make this a regular thing. So if you can keep your eye on that and Mm. begin to uh, make... I can't contribute to it because I'm almost completely ignorant about video games. But if you're willing to sort of take this thing and run with it, I think it'll be a really interesting section to have in the show from now on. Sure. Yeah, sure.
0: I'll, I'll try and devise some kind of sting that we can put in at some point, you know. Mo talks about video games. do, 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 do. Something like um. that. Yeah, that'd be great. Normally, when we when, when talk about Modern Who, we're not going to do part four because, you know, we feel that talking about production standards in Modern Who is, is pretty pointless because generally we're just going to sit there and say, it looks fucking great, do it. You know, there's no point in that. But, apparently, Doc, you've got something for me, so let's move on to part four.
2: Overweight
0: underpowered museum piece. Welcome to part four of the show, which we call Overweight Underpowered Museum Piece. Uh, here we just talk about production, costumes, effects, direction, etc. Um, Doc, you've got something interesting, apparently. I don't know how interesting this will be watching
1: this in the year 2021 i think it does look dated Mm. i think it looks really 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 dated sure and there are some parts of it that i think look downright bad Mm. Uh, give me some examples i think the costumes and the makeup on the blue people uh i think look not good yeah Mm -hmm. and i think they would have looked not good in the year 2005 as well Mm. Mm. um the um the tree person costume I think is really, really, really
0: well done. I did. The way that they blend—that I was looking at that, doc—and and I paused it actually because I was so kind of impressed by it. Just like the blending of of, of like the you know the actress's face mm-hmm. and into like the like the wood of the, like the back of her head. I was looking for the joints, and and you just can't see it. It was brilliant. Yeah.
1: So. Some parts of it, I think, look fantastic, and some yeah. uh, some parts of it. Um, and the pacing is really odd as well. Mm. It's only 45 minutes, but it's a new programme, and they're still obviously working the shit out as they go along. But the early parts of the episode are too rushed. Sure. And then the latter parts of it drag. So, uh, like, how... Oh, the... oh sorry, Geoff, go on. How long do we have to spend in that room with
0: Rose, watching the Venetian blind go up and down? Yeah, I, I think this is a problem with modern TV pacing in general. I think they're so obsessed... I mean, we, we, we say modern, but this is fucking 16 years old, but, yes. but you take my point. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I think it's a big problem with modern TV in general. They are... Like the suits are so obsessed with kind of grabbing the audience's attention they front load everything um just totally front loaded What's and, that- and, and 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 so you you know you just you know oh, you know these the, the, these plebs are so thick that if, if we don't kind of kind of shine flashy lights and have explosions and you know really kind of drag them in because they're thick bastards mm-hmm. you know the, 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 they're not going to keep watching and but what it results in is exactly what you're describing is this like lag at the end of it. And to me, that's that's counterproductive because then you're less likely to watch the next episode, aren't you? Because you're not kind of left going, wow, on, a, on, a, on an adrenaline rush. You're left thinking, that's fucking boring. I mean, I, I was a little kinder than you.
1: I assume that the, that, and that scene that seems to go on for decades with Rose in that room, watching the Venetian blinds going up and down, um, i think that's someone's idea of how to build tension yeah Mm -hmm. but um because of metaculture at this point we already know billy piper signed a one-year contract We already know rose isn't going to die Mm -hmm. and because of that there's no tension to it at all no 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 and yeah it's interesting yeah it it drags the narrative flow back to absolutely nothing yeah, and then you get like the, um, and I quite like the, but once again, there's nothing modern about this. This is a, a, a twenty style narrative trick. I quite like the stagey Poirot revealing the murderer mm-hmm. bit at the end of the episode. Yeah, but I, I quite like stuff like that anyway. Mm. Um, but there's nothing modern. There's nothing even remotely twenty first century about doing that.
0: Well, I, I don't think Russell is averse to uh, like calling back on classic kind of tropes. I think, he, I, th- I think he likes all that shit, so he uses it to his advantage. You
1: yeah.
2: Know.
0: And that's so, fair enough, isn't it?
1: You know? It, absolutely. Well, I mean, um, I like it too. Mm. Uh, I'm probably not too far away from uh, Mr. Davis in, 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 in age. I'm only a little bit younger than he is, I think. Yeah. Um, and I like that stuff too. Yeah. So that doesn't... Just jibes oddly with something that seems to want to tell you how aggressively mod, how aggressively twenty first century it is, mm. Mm. Um, and then the pacing drops to nothing. Like the, the the pacing drops to not even Hartnell pace because the narrative actually stops. It doesn't mm. even move forward. Yeah. Um, that's the part of the episode where they could have really, really benefited from, te- from from
0: having Terry Nation. Yeah, I mean, nothing really happens, does it? You, once we've established the world, so you've got like the the world-building 20 minutes. Nothing really happens, but I don't mind it, Doc, because I think it's just kind of building the the like, the relationship between the between the Doctor and Rose. I've got no objection <laughs> to it. I, th- I, th- I think it's quite canny, actually. I would like it if it did what
1: you just said it did. Mm-hmm. If it built but um they split the doctor and rose up yeah as quickly as possible and then get them back together again for an exposition dump so um i would like it i would like the episode much more if it did what you said it did
0: yeah for sure i mean that, that that's my interpretation in my head but you are right there is a big like 20 minute trunk where they're not together aren't they? isn't there
1: if you say it's 20 minutes it seems like Five minutes. It, it seems to me like five minutes after the beginning of the episode, they split the Doctor and rose up, and then they joined them back again for the last three
0: minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that extreme, Doc. I think that's your interpretation. I, I think it's like twenty, maybe twenty-five minutes at a push, but they're not yeah. together. Um, but but I understand. I, I totally understand why what, you know why you perceived it that way, um, Doc. I think I think we're kind of getting to the end of our time here, and we need to think about wrapping things up. Any 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 kind of crucial last points you want to make before we uh, before we get out of here? Well, obviously, um, I get hit with a, revolu- with, with, with
1: a revelation, don't I? Um, the, the Doctor is the last surviving member of his race. Oh, wow. Ah, yes, of course. You wouldn't know that, would you? Yeah. Oh. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I found that very effective. Mm. And I don't know whether this is the emotional reaction that was hoped for, mm. but i found myself punching the air and going thank christ for that no more time lords no more master no more Mm -hmm. like just what a brilliant economical massively effective way to eliminate a ton of continuity baggage
0: sure yeah just yeah be gone basically we we, yeah it's like a reset switch isn't it yeah 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 uh, uh, retconning i suppose but understandable retconning i would say
1: no it's 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 not record it's
0: it's entirely no? it's entirely new now i mean it, it's not like no i think it's retconning because how can he be the last time lord? you know when we know for example that the master and romana exist that's why i think it's retconning sure um
1: but i assume that i mean unless the Doctor is outright bullshitting to try and impress Rose, and I'm willing to accept that. Mm. Uh, I mean, that um, Christopher Eccleson's Doctor is shady enough to do something like mm. that, mm-hmm. but unless he's outright bullshitting to try and manipulate Rose. Um, yeah, I mean, why not pursue that statement to its ontological end? The
0: Master's dead. Romana's dead. He Gallifrey is... Them. Sorry? He killed them, perhaps. Yeah, you know, you know, you know potentially it's it that intriguing possibility that the Doctor, for, for whatever reason, kind of the other two surviving Time Lords to make him special.
1: Yes. So, What's I mean, I mean I'm, I'm intrigued as to, I, I don't think it's a retcon. Um, a retcon would have been, <clears throat> let's say, if there'd been a line that, Gallifrey was destroyed, or the, the planet of the Time Lord was destroyed at the end of the War Games. Yeah, yeah, that would be a <laughs> retcon.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, you, you're absolutely correct, Doc. I'm, I'm not going to argue with you because I I, I totally agree with you. We've done, Doc. I think I, I think we you know we, we, we we've got to get out of here at some point. And for people listening in the future, we are right. about to re- record a very exciting breaking news episode, which Ooh. is going to drop hopefully. Hang on, let me check my let me check the date, which is, which should have dropped by the time you're listening to this on the twenty on Sunday the twenty sixth. So on Sunday the twenty sixth, guys, you're going to get two episodes. I mean, how exciting is this, doc? They're going to get these lucky bastards, these lucky lucky bastards that listen to this show that, that don't understand the you the, know the, the 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 amount of effort. <laughs> <laughs> the work we put into this. You know, it's like a full-time job. So today, four to Doomsday, has already dropped because I've i just checked my phone and it and it is available. Um and and, we, and we're now gonna record a special breaking news extravaganza. Let's get out of here, Doc. Don't forget you can contact us on email at different doc at gmail.com and also on Twitter, at SOSDifferent. I will, I promise, guys, I will sort out the Facebook at some point. But you're all fucking perverts anyway, if you're using Facebook, so why should I bother? Um, next week, join us when we will be looking at the second David David Tennant story, which is called New Earth. Looking forward to that, Doc? I am. I <laughs> am.